Hey y'all, you're listening to episode number 96 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Today we're chatting about why inflammation is a serious problem, gut health influencing anxiety, how keto serves as a mood stabilizer, the role of carbs for your overall anxiety levels, and so much more. This topic is awesome, I feel like, because I get the question about anxiety and keto a lot of the time. And as somebody who deals with just like panic feeling all of the time. I'm a major type A. If things don't go the way that I had envisioned them, I get really stressed out. And so anxiety and the impact that it has on our lives is a really, really, really interesting conversation. And I don't think a lot of us think what anxiety can actually do to our body. Yeah, we feel uncomfortable not quite right. We want it to end, but we don't think, you know, when I'm anxious, what is this doing to my overall mood? Or what is this doing to my gut? How is this influencing what food sensitivities I have? So it's a really great conversation and I can't wait to share this with you. I've put together a little podcast extra for this specific episode. You can get it at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E96. The one cool thing I want to share with you today is that because we're chatting about carb intake, anxiety, and because anxiety can be sparked around our diet and the foods we're craving or the foods that we feel like we're addicted to, I put together a free guide that goes through the five proven ways that I've stopped my sugar addiction. If sugar is an addictive substance to you too, even on your ketogenic diet and you can't seem to shake it off and then it's causing a lot of anxiety and not so awesome feelings, you can grab this freebie at healthfulpursuit.com slash sugar. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women, so you can burn fat, balance your hormones, heal your body, quickly adapt to a ketogenic diet, avoid common struggles, and get the results you crave. And now, here's your host. You might know her as the Keto Queen. She's the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, founder of Happy Keto Body, and she loves dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo, Leanne Vogel. Our guest today is Allie Miller, who's an integrative functional medicine practitioner with a background in naturopathic medicine. She's a registered dietitian, certified diabetes educator, and has contagious passion for food as medicine, developing clinical protocols and virtual programs using nutrients and food as a foundation of treatment. Allie's food as medicine philosophy is supported by up-to-date scientific research for a functional approach to healing the body. Allie is the author of The Naturally Nourished Food as Medicine for Optimal Health cookbook in 2016 and the anti-anxiety diet which just came out. I've interviewed Allie before on the podcast and if you'd like to listen to this episode you can head back on over to episode 55. I'll also link it up in the podcast extras. Also we're going to be chatting about anxiety and if you already have a copy of my program Fat Fueled you can check out pages 90 to 91 of the program where we get more in depth about anxiety. Okay let's get to this interview. Hey, Allie, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing, Leanne? 
I'm so good. I'm so happy when we get to chat. <laughs> it's always a good time. Good things happen. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm so happy we met at KetoCon last year. And um, so for listeners that may not be familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am a registered dietitian, but unique to my background, I went to a naturopathic college of medicine, Bestier University. And I practiced there when I was doing my clinical rotations, functional integrative medicine, so I am a dietitian that kind of has one leg on, on the river, if you will, with what would be called allopathic or more conventional medical model. And then I have the other leg of the bank on the naturopathic functional medicine is kind of the, the water between that bridges both the dense, you know, American model of science and then also the naturopathic. So it's kind of grounded in nature, yet um, supported by scientific discovery. Amazing. And so I like to ask all of our guests that come on the show. Sometimes I forget to do it, but I'm not going to forget this time. And that is, what does keto mean to you? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> so to me, it is an ability of using food as medicine. And, and that's one of my big kind of concepts with Naturally Nourish, my clinic. We always look at food as medicine and how to work with the body, how to understand where dysfunction lies and create synergy, create a relationship that works with the body. And keto to me is a way of sustainably redefining your relationship with food. I think that when we break up with sugar and we fuel ourselves on fat, we both know that some magic can happen. Um, and so, you know, we can have significant improvements on blood sugar metabolism. We can have significant improvements on body composition change, on hormone balance, and on mood stability. Um, and so to me, keto is being able to eat with food freedom and intuition it is, and that might sound counterintuitive, I think, to many people, but but to me, that's how you define really being successfully adapted to running on fat. Um, having some of that ability to be intuitive with your approach, um, keto definitely does mean carb restricted and being mindful about reducing your carbs so that you run on ketones instead of glucose as your primary fuel. But like I said, I think there is an element of fluctuation and, and breath within keto that makes a rigid keto individual, I don't feel is going to get as much success as someone that is an intuitive keto individual. And one of my phrases I use often in clinic is that doctrine creates disconnect. So if we get too obsessed with number counting, if we get too obsessed with macros and we're not listening to the signals of our system, that's when, as you and I both know also, keto can drive dysfunction. But I think keto can be fluid and um, it can be an empowering way to sustainably run on fat as fuel. Mm, I love that doctrine can create disconnect. <laughs> and it's so true. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, how many of us I did it have... as a vegan. <laughs> I, mean, I think we've all done it at some stage, you know. You know what? It's interesting. Every single person I've, because I do these recording stints where I just record a bunch of episodes because it's easier with internet. Every single person I've talked to in this stint was a vegan. Yep. <laughs> We're out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a transitionary period. That's cool. Okay. So you just wrote a new book. Let's chat a little bit about it. And then I'm going to ask you questions about the book awesome. and the content inside. Awesome. So, you know, I said that I practice functional integrative medicine and I've been working clinically for just over 10 years now. And 
I work with things like, you know, leaky gut, uh, candidiasis or dysbiosis. I work with, uh, you know, a whole gamut of autoimmune pathologies and neurological conditions. Uh, We work with adrenal fatigue, you know, you name it. But I found in my clinical work that often as I was looking at addressing the root causes of imbalance in the body, anxiety was often serving as the Achilles heel. And I found that, you know, I could work with someone's microbiome or I could work with someone's food sensitivities with an elimination diet, or I could transition them into a ketogenic state. But if we didn't resolve the underlying mechanisms of what was driving off that HPA access or that fight or flight mechanism of their body, that that was going to continue to like Swiss cheese drill holes into their holistic healthcare plan. Uh, So I decided that, you know, we really wanted to create, I wanted to create a resource Hence, the anti-anxiety diet um, book that com- that is out now. I'm so excited, and um, it goes through six foundational functional medicine R's that serve as causes of anxiety, and also on the reciprocal relationship, serve as results of anxiety. So I include kind of from the top down how to remove inflammatory foods. And in that section, I talk about different inflammatory chemicals like cytokines and prostaglandins and how these chemicals in the bloodstream actually can cross the blood-brain barrier and have been shown in clinical research to drive mood instability. Uh, And then I talk about how you can strategically reduce inflammatory foods and how to assess them and reintroduce them if needed. I talk about how to reset the gut microbiome and all of the studies on the, you know, thumbprint of our gut bacteria, starting with our birth story and breastfeeding and the inoculation of bacteria and how certain strains create good neurotransmitters like serotonin and GABA, higher manufactured by lacto and bifido strains, whereas bad bacteria can drive bad uh, neurotransmitters like too much adrenaline. I talk about repairing leaky gut and, and the connection of that with anxiety. I go into my fourth R is restoring micronutrient status. So I talk about mood stabilizing minerals. I talk about the amino acids that are involved as building blocks of neurotransmitters and uh, the role of B vitamins and methylation. Uh, And then I close with probably the two stars of the show that most people think of when they think of anxiety, which is rebounding the adrenals and addressing both the overdrive and underdrive of adrenal output. And then finally, rebalancing neurotransmitters. And so each of these, I, I, I have it in this layout in my book in that particular order, but based on the individual, they may be starting at a different entry point. So each chapter has quizzes to assign where your weakest point would be based on symptoms. And then I also provide food as medicine solutions in the form of recipes. And the book has over 40 different recipes and then a whole meal plan to kind of accommodate this, this plan. Oh my gosh, this sounds great. Oh, <laughs> um, that's, that's it. <laughs> I'm sure there's so much more. It's so hard to like highlight your book because it, yeah, I totally get you. Okay. So, <laughs> like each hour is an episode. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to take a little side swipe because you mentioned inflammation quite a bit. Yeah. And when people think inflammation, they're like, I've heard this many times. Well, my joints don't hurt. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Can we chat a little bit about inflammation? Um, because I feel like it's going to come up a little bit in this 
episode specifically about anxiety. So can we just define what inflammation is and why it's a problem? Yeah. So, you know, the, the cardinal signs of inflammation are generally speaking, swelling, warmth or like temperature change, heat to that area. There's generally going to be restriction of blood flow to that area. And that kind of accommodates with the fluid retention. Uh, We get loss of function and then we also get some dull pain. And so if you imagine inflammation in the most kind of dumbed down example, let's say that you bump your elbow on the wall or on on the table, you know, boop. And that next day you're going to get tenderness to touch. It's going to be a little swollen. Your elbow might be difficult to bend. And that was, you know, an acute injury. You, You hit your elbow and that's your immune system responding with inflammatory chemical cascade, and and that's the results of it. That's one acute example. Now, if you're eating foods on a daily basis that are causing low-grade inflammation, it can be, I use this phrase in my book, which is totally dramatic, and I'll say that, but I say that, you know, potentially in some individuals, I I eliminate in the uh, protocol soy, corn, uh, dairy for the casein particularly, gluten, and then sugar. And um, I talk about how a corn chip in theory can almost respond in the body like a stab wound um, because the same type of thing, if we're eating foods that are inflammatory and they're sitting in our GI tract, the blood flow shunts out because it's a survival mechanism. If there's too much inflammation going on in our GI based on the foods we eat, we don't absorb as many nutrients. And as a survival mechanism, our body reduces the blood flow. It also reduces and creates sluggish or overreactive function to get rid of it or to to slow it down. So constipation or loose stools. And then we also see as those compounds cross into the bloodstream, like I said, they cross the blood brain barrier and they can cause interference with how our neurotransmitters are signaling and how they sit on receptor sites. So we can actually get things like brain fog, difficulty concentrating, and then excessive rumination, anticipatory distress, anxiety, aka, (laughs) or depression um, from these inflammatory foods. So there are studies that show that in the bloodstream crossing the brain, and then there is that influence on a digestive level, even without joint pain or aches and pains that we think of as inflammation, that hinders both nutrient absorption and also hinders optimized digestion. You're so smart. (laughs) I say that every time we talk. You're such a great teacher. I just, I'm crushing you. You're so good at explaining things. I just really appreciate you. My husband did not like the corn chip thing. He's like, really, babe? Now every time I look at a corn chip, I think I'm stabbing myself. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, that's pretty accurate, I think. Um, Okay, so can we chat a little bit about the six R's and an overview of that concept? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we got enough maybe on that first one, right? The inflammatory foods. And so the well, the other part of that chapter goes into removing carbohydrates. So my anti-anxiety diet does use a ketogenic diet in it. And maybe we can talk more about that later. But the first R, you know, is removing those inflammatory foods and then also removing sugars and, and getting yourself keto adapted if that's a new shift for your body. The biome, I honestly learned so much, Leanne, in my studies of putting this book together on the second and third R's. So resetting the gut microbiome and repairing the GI lining. So what I learned, I knew, of course, that, you know, we always say, uh, I say probiotics are nature's Prozac. And, you know, I always know that 90% of your serotonin is made in your gut. And so that I've made this connection for years about 
probiotics. And we see studies like, for instance, gardeners that spend more time with soil-based organisms tend to have more mood stability. So we know that there's a connection of our our biome, which is what lines from our, our nose all the way down to our colon, of our intestinal bugs and how they can influence our neurotransmitters. That's been known. But what I didn't know is that anxiety alone can sterilize your microbiome. Like that to me was just, I I think I maybe knew in a couple. So there's actually been studies. There was a a mice study. It's kind of sad, but they took mice and they separated them from their mothers, but they could see their mothers and there were electric plates. Um, And they did it first with the electric plates. And the mice had a drop in their lactobacillus and bifido to complete sterility state. And then they removed the plates because they thought maybe it was because of the physiological stress. It was the pain, you know, the actual physical pain of the shock that was doing it. By removing the plates, still having a second population that just had the distress of seeing mom but not being able to access her, complete sterility of lacto and bifido. And they saw secretory IgA values plummet. And secretory IgA is a marker of leaky gut. So, you know, we started to see now as I dug deep into research, there was another study on social anxiety, and they looked at the value called LPS. So this stands for lipopolysaccharides. And generally speaking, in medical research, we associate LPS increase in the presence of pathogens or, again, bad gut bugs. But in a social anxiety environment, they took measurements of LPS preceding and and during a social anxiety-provoking experience. And in humans, LPS skyrocketed. And LPS literally is a drill to your gut lining. LPS drills holes into your gut lining. And the idea of that is in the presence of bad bacteria, it's drilling holes in your gut to allow the bacteria to get out so that your bloodstream can deal with it on an immune level. But now we know literally just being anxious can start to drill holes in your gut and literally just being stressed and unmanaged with your stress response can sterilize your biome. Oh my gosh, I'm a holy mess over here. <laughs> like Swiss cheese, glutamine, glutamine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so if somebody just heard that as I did and was like, um, so how do I fix those holes? Like, Yeah, you know, so <laughs> I know because, right, so you can master and that's why I was really excited to put this resource together because, you know, you're probably killing it on chapter one of removing inflammatory foods, but with the lifestyle and, you know, being an entrepreneur and whatnot, the stress hit, it hits, you know, and so we can be proactive and we can use supplementation and we can use strategic foods. But I also always say, you know, we, we need to adjust as much as we can the lifestyle, which I know you have and, and I know I have with our recent kind of transitions of claiming our Zen space. Um, but you do, you have to modify your external environment because you can't necessarily over supplement lifestyle. You know, you're just going to be running up a downhill escalator. So you can use, for instance, I recommend L-glutamine. There's a product that I use in my clinic called GI lining support. Um, so it has high dose L-glutamine. It has uh, diglycerized licorice root and it has aloe. And so it provides mucilaginous or oopy goopy, if you will, support in delivery with the glutamine. And glutamine is both a building block and a fuel source for our gut cells. So that is one of the best ways to really defend. Um, And so I do, I will double down on my GI lining support prior to lecturing or big events. Even if I don't perceive it as stress and I see it as that, that beneficial use stress, 
I try to be proactive um, and know the tolerance of my body. And then food forms, when we're getting gelatin, I have a lot of like, I have a turmeric orange gummy in my book, um, a lot of fun different gelatin recipes, uh, uh, almond collagen gelatin hot chocolate. Um, and so these things, when we incorporate gelatin and bone broth, these alt, of course, are going to help to coat and line and more important to focus on those proactively when under anxiety provoking environment. Okay, there are so many things that are running in my head right now. First off, I love that you're saying like, let's get ahead of the symptoms. And it's something that I learned massively on my first book tour, which is probably the most stressful event in my life up to this point. Sure. Um, Because you're just I wasn't used to like getting on a new plane every day and and all of the parts to that. And I wasn't feeling good. And my inflammation was high because I wasn't eating the right foods. And and getting ahead of the symptoms like knowing I'm going into a stressful period. How can I set up my life now so yes. I don't feel like garbage yes. throughout the process? Mm-hmm. I think it's super important. And another thing um, that I I thought it was just because I guess I didn't think why this could happen. But when I practice yoga every morning, my gut is so much better. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And I guess that totally makes sense with what you just said. Yep. We actually see, so in my last chapter, I do give lifestyle support and there are studies on um, doing, it's called four, seven, eight breath. So it's a, a type of breath that Dr. Andrew Weil came up with and, you know, belly breathing, there's, there's various forms of prana and, and different, and that's not my forte per se, but there are studies done on the four, seven, eight breath where you breathe in your nose for four, you hold for seven and you exhale with like a whooshing, like a kind of whoosh for eight. So you're actually breathing out double time of the inhale. Um, but there are studies that that actually signs, sends direct signals down our vagus nerve, which is what goes from the brain down to our colon um, and reduces that excitatory nervous system activity. And we've seen that there's less glutamine depletion. So like I said, you can proactively take glutamine, but we've also seen in studies, again, that kind of vicious cycle that glutamine gets degraded or broken down in the body under stress. And so there's things that you can proactively do lifestyle-wise for certain. And I also incorporate mantras a lot, like the surrender, <laughs> surrendering to chaos mantras. Like um, I can totally relate in the sense of when you're living with your bliss and you're doing things that are passion-provoked, you often don't check yourself as often because you're running on adrenaline and it's, it feels awesome. I mean, it's like this is, this is what I've dreamt of creating and it's manifesting. But it is really important to just kind of root and ground, whether it's morning yoga practice or walking outside in nature, um, you know, putting your feet literally on the earth, breathing deep. All of those things definitely help to reset that parasympathetic nervous system, which we so need for balance in, in optimal health state. Amazing. And you mentioned breathing and I want to just mention this too. In episode 25, we had a guest on that did like a whole breathing technique thing. It was really cool. So I definitely recommend if you guys are like, I want to download all the episodes, check out episode 25 because it was really cool. And I still use that technique today and I am no longer a chest breather. I breathe from my belly and it's such a natural thing now. it's It's so great and it's totally relaxing and I love it. Okay. Let's also chat about gut bacteria, neurotransmitters, and how this plays a role in anxiety and our moods. Sure. So, you know, like I said, there's that 
probiotics have been seen as what I call nature's Prozac uh, because of the influence of the two most well-researched strains for positive neurotransmitter expression are lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. So generally speaking, when we're talking about mood stability, in my book, in that chapter, I talk about doing a probiotic challenge and how to assess for dysbiosis because, you know, now there's so many different multi- strain probiotics, which can be good, especially following like antibiotics. If you're going to hit your belly with an atom bomb, you probably want to do a multi-strain reboot, like a full spectrum type probiotic. But if we're talking about day-to-day functional support, and especially if we're talking about on a neurotransmitter level, I highly recommend simplifying it to just a 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido and not incorporating any of those prebiotic fibers like inulin and whatnot. And the reason being is that those can provoke growth of imbalanced bacteria. So if we have SIBO or if we have dysbiosis or candidiasis, those prebiotic fibers can be fermented in a negative sense. Um, And so what I do in my uh, chapter to assess dysbiosis is I start an individual with 15 billion colony forming units of a 50-50 blend of lactobifido. And then after three days, they go up to two capsules after three more days, three and after three more days, four. So on um, days, I believe that's nine, 10 and 11, they're having 60 billion colony forming units of lacto and bifido. And I have them assess changes in their bowels, changes in bloating. So they actually take a waste measurement, not for vanity, but to truly see fermentation and distension shifts from rise to rest. So I have them using a, a sewing tape measure at rise and rest. And we see if there's an improvement or no change with the increased dosage, or if there's dysbiosis and bad shifts. Like some people will say, oh, I felt like a, a bomb was going off in my belly, or I had so much tight gas and cramping. And that generally speaking indicates that there is a bad army of bacteria. So whether it's pathogens or too much common soul strains, that there's not enough playing field for the good to inoculate. So in that sense, then I would probably have the individual go forward with more of a cleanse. Um, and I talk about that. I have like a bacteria battling chimichurri, which it's a kind of an awkward name, but it has things like oiled oregano and um, high, high amounts of garlic and olive oil and things that help to kill off pathogens and and yeast excess in the system. And then we talk strategically, if you had to plow the biome, then how you can reseed the good. Um, So we can see both if sterility of not having enough growth or having too bad bacteria, too much pathogens or too much uh, bad strains, uh, and and that doesn't allow enough to grow. Um, Those are the two reasons why we typically would have more anxiety and mood disturbances. And these bacteria compounds do also cross that blood-brain barrier which is why with candida, one of the common symptoms is pretty severe brain fog, like a balloon head, if you will. Amazing. Okay. I have so many questions now. Um, (laughs) The first one is the role of carbohydrates in this. Because you mentioned inulin. People might think, okay, well, is it better to like not eat a bunch of vegetables um, if we're concerned about our gut health specifically um, because we're dealing with anxiety? And then I even had a a thought about like, what are your thoughts on this carnivore thing? Because it seems to be a common question that is going around the keto space right now. Yeah. Um, so it's like a two pronged question, but okay. um, I'll let you take it away. <laughs> okay. 
So uh, again, in the state of dysbiosis, if you were dealing with bloating, distension, bowel irregularity, and then, you know, there's a whole quiz to, to associate that in my book, then I would recommend against fermentable fibers. Uh, and so that's going to be like your uh, asparagus, leeks, uh, artichoke, especially Jerusalem artichoke, and then even high amounts of onions um, and such, because those get fermented. And that would be in the keto scope. We also, of course, would, would remove fructose sugars, which can be malabsorbed and, and have negative metabolism when sugars are imbalanced. Um, so I do use, first and foremost, I guess, uh, I use keto, like I said, in my anti-anxiety diet to accelerate anti-anxiety outcomes. And the reason for that is, you know, the ketogenic diet, if you connect it back to studies with epilepsy, right? So we all kind of know the first time medical industry assigned keto to be a therapeutic diet, it was because it was able to reduce seizure activity. The presence of ketone bodies in the central nervous system, so in the brain, are able to reduce the output of excitatory activity that creates these spasms that drive tremors and, and the activity that drives seizures. So if you think of that, and you think of what anxiety is, and you think of what a panic attack is, and you think about, you know, rapid short heart rate, rapid heart rate, shortness of breath, a little bit of tremor, shakiness, uh, loss of circulation, racing thoughts, that is a surge of excitatory neurotransmitter chemicals. So the cool thing is, even without considering seizure activity, we know now in up-to-date studies that ketone bodies can actually enhance GABA activity in the brain. And GABA is a feel-good neurocompound. I think it's actually more of a star of the show for anxiety than serotonin is, but serotonin is maybe more kind of well-known. But keto specifically can modulate or impact the way that GABA hits the brain. And GABA is what we think of with like Parkinson's disease, where there's, you know, significant tremors and shaking. So GABA provides a neuromuscular signal of relaxation. And so that's that same mechanism, again, that it helps with seizures, but it also can help with creating this grounded, balanced, stabilized mood. And I think that for those of us that are doing keto right, that's why we love it, because we feel super mellow. We feel super grounded. I feel significant uh, enhanced cognitive function and thought processing. And it's because you can filter out some of that excitatory activity. Very cool. And like, and I'll answer. Yeah. It's like I didn't answer yeah. carnivore part, but yeah, go ahead. Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. Carnivore. Because <laughs> I feel like with more and more people talking about this carnivore thing, specifically in keto, a lot of people are talking about how it's better for gut health. And I know that because we just had somebody on the podcast last week to talk about the carnivore diet and science and things, the people are still kind of reeling over that. And now they just heard you say, I know what you said, but you know how people like pick apart what uh -huh. you say and it's like, <laughs> I didn't say that. I know that somebody's going to be like, oh, like then the carnivore diet would be great. Can we just right. talk briefly yeah. about your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is when I was, I've, I've been doing keto clinically for 10 years. And so in the dietitian realm and the, you know, healthcare realm, people were paranoid about keto being too sterilizing for the gut because of the, the low carbs. Right. And so there is an influence. And, and I would always argue, oh no, like 
my keto, how I define keto has so much fiber. Um, and so, you know, we're talking about still having chia seeds. We're talking about nut butters. We're talking about two to three cups of leafy greens every single day. We're talking about getting a high array of phyto compounds and antioxidants and getting those detoxifying cruciferous vegetables like our Brussels, our cauliflower, our kale. Um, you know, I mean, that, that is a daily intake. And so I, and, and, and to be totally blunt, I, I have not delved in enough research into keto carnivore because it doesn't appeal to me personally. Um, it's it's too far over the Richter scale for, for my personal desire. And, and I right now am not in a state of severe gastric distress that I would need to do that. With that being said, I can understand how reducing all fermentable compounds for a strategic amount of time could be advantageous. But I also will say that I've had people that have had severe pathogens that are very resistant when I'm doing like stool tests with a patient and doing a strategic six to eight week cleanse. And someone that's been keto for three to five years, sometimes their gut bacteria becomes what I call thrifty. (laughs) And um, we actually have to carb cycle to get successful outcomes with their cleanse to provoke the bacteria action to get to those biofilms. So it's not as simplified as pull all residual carbs out, pull all vegetable fibers to just have meats so that you don't get any bacteria activity. That's not true. Bacteria can be very thrifty. Um, And so, you know, it could be a technique as far as accelerating a shift, but um, I generally recommend the benefit of getting plant-based compounds in synergy. And I find that if you're having bloating and you don't tolerate vegetables, there's a root reason for that. You probably have to do some form of a berberine cleanse or, or work with a practitioner on assessing your stool and then work with digestive enzymes because if you don't use it, you lose it. You know, So there are hemicellulases and, and there's different, different vegetable fibers that can be more difficult to break down than just the pepsin and the HCL involved with protein metabolism. Um, and so definitely some people can be lacking in their, their ability to break down vegetable fibers or they could have imbalanced gut bacteria. So for a short term, that could be a tool, but it's not something I recommend for the long haul. Amazing. And so carb intake, and you mentioned yeah. carb cycling, and that was one of the many reasons why I started doing carb ups. Yeah. And uh, at this point, I still, you know, never say never, but I don't know if I could do keto without carb ups just because, I mean, for the first time in over a decade, I'm able to have onions again. Like I can, I can eat a raw onion, like raw onion in a salad. And that's such a big deal to me. Um, So can we chat a little bit about just carb intake, how it relates to anxiety and how to kind of balance that on a ketogenic diet? Yeah. So, you know, the imbalance that we see with keto is often in this classic type A female. um, And it's, it's a woman that is super stressed, you know, has has way too many things on her to-do list, is over-exercising, is calorie restricting, over-caffeinating, right? That's like the like, uh, you know, that's the trifecta or I think that's four things, but whatever, of, of the, the disaster of why you'd get anxiety, I feel, with a ketogenic diet. And it's because generally speaking, 
were calorie restricted. Usually that's more of the issue than being carb restricted. But with that being said, um, I do run panels in my clinic where I look at baseline leptin and, um, you know, leptin, of course, I'm sure listeners are familiar, but just a little breakdown. Leptin is that satiety hormone. So most individuals, when they're starting to go into a ketogenic diet, are entering at a state of leptin resistance, just like insulin resistance, where they're putting out too much of the hormone and they're not getting adequate signaling. So they're getting suboptimal function. When you get into a ketogenic diet, your leptin receptors start to sensitize. You start to get enhanced satiety. And that's where people are like, oh my gosh, like I'm not hungry at all. Um, and so leptin predominantly hits the hypothalamus, a part of the brain that regulates our, our both fight or flight access and our rest and digest access. We also have leptin receptors on our thyroid. We also have leptin receptors on our ovaries. So what happens over a long-term restriction of, of carbohydrates in a tight, tight, tight keto um, is that leptin is insulinogenic. And so if there is no insulin and not enough insulin activity, there's always going to be some, but if there's not enough insulin activity because we're not getting any glucose shifts as far as a dietary intake, over time, we can get into a mode of leptin depletion. I personally call that bone hunger. I can tell in a moment. <laughs> like I know the day of when my leptin levels drop. Um, and I do dance borderline low. Um, I don't have that much body fat. Um, and so I am strategic with carb cycling with my menstruation cycle when leptin receptors on the ovaries are more taxed. Um, and that works for me. Um, the connection with anxiety is over time, if leptin drops so low, then we start to get that hanger, right? So hunger comes back pretty viciously. And that's what I was calling kind of the bone hunger. And we can get excessive excitatory neurotransmitters and suboptimal serotonin signaling. So there is a connection with serotonin and the neuron signaling in light of glucose. There's this plasma tryptophan ratio. And um, we do see that when insulin is secreted, um, that can increase serotonin release. However, with that being said, just like the leptin example, most people have ample baseline activity and it really depends on your body, how long you've been in keto, on, on how often you would need to carb cycle and, and what that looks like for your body. Mm. And in your book, you there are some recipes that include carrots, um, yeah. starchy vegetables. Yeah. What are your feelings on the types of carbs? Yeah. Because I get that question a lot. Oh my gosh, girl. You know, it's like, that's the thing too, is I'm, I'm a realist first. <laughs> like I am a real foodist <laughs> first. And I am... I, almost with with vengeance, I, I don't use any non caloric sweeteners. Um, it just when when I took my culinary classwork at Bestier and I learned about whole foods and um, you know this was even in my transition out of veganism, um, you know it's all about the synergy of the function that that compound can give my body. So for me to use one date, which has potassium and has manganese and has B vitamins um, and has chromium versus a non-caloric refined white powdered sweetener, I'm going to go for the date. Um, and so I find in my recipe development and in what I use in even keto-friendly recipes that that can work. It just has to be the overall impact, right? So I think we go into tunnel vision mode too often with keto where there's a no list and a yes list. And to use one date in a dessert um, that makes 12 servings, you're getting less than a gram of carb from that. That's not going to throw you out of keto. Um, and so I really like to allow 
myself and my clients to really redefine what sweet is. And again, kind of redefining their relationship with food to make this a sustainable change. Because to me, it's a win if a client says, oh my gosh, I never knew how sweet a Marcona almond could be, you know, like just an almond in olive oil with coarse salt. And it was so sweet. Um, And so same thing, I might use starchy vegetables here or there as a thickener um, or as a vehicle, but it's never going to give you more than 10 grams of carbs in the recipe, unless it is a strategic carb cycling recipe. And and I do notify those in, in my book. But generally speaking, I use no-no keto foods in a lot of keto recipes, and I find advantage and and benefit to that because you're getting nourishment, and and it's a real food. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I've been playing around with, um, instead of using things like erythritol, xylitol, monk fruit, stevia, I've actually been using things like banana, applesauce. Yeah, girl. uh, And uh, like I, I bought a thing of bananas uh, the other day and Kevin was unpacking the groceries. My husband, he's like, what? <laughs> like, what are these yeah. doing in the bags? I'm like, I'm trying something new. Don't worry. We won't die. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, like looking at banana, we have this. When I looked at a banana when I was vegan, I was like, yum. When I looked at it as keto, it was like danger, sugar, mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. Um. But when you look at the nutrients behind that and the potassium that it can provide for keto, it's sort of like, wait a minute, why am I sweetening my keto muffins with erythritol? And and it does still provide, like when I have things like, have you tried the, what are those gummy bears? The keto gummy bears? They're like swerve. No. What is it? (laughs) Um, Sweet. I don't know. They're like these gummy bears. They're all over the internet right now. And I tried a bag and I had the worst blood sugar drop I've had in years. Yeah, like, you probably went super high insulin. Uh-huh. Oh, it was horrible. And I don't get that feeling when I make a batch of 12 muffins and put half of a banana in there. Right. So yeah, it's it's very different. And I love that you mentioned that. And I think It'll be really cool to see where keto goes because I know that there are women listening right now that are like, but banana is not keto. (laughs) I know my Instagram. So I'm always posting like what I'm making for my daughter and myself and and whatnot. And it's like every day someone's like, wait, aren't you keto? And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Your point, you know, it's like, and you know, I'll make a pancake that has half a cup of almond butter, three eggs and, um, you know, coconut oil and right half a banana mashed in there. And it's like, uh, yep. That's super keto. <laughs> it's very high fat dominant and it, um, has about four grams of carbs and I'm putting a slab of Kerrygold on top to boot. <laughs> We're good. We're yeah. good here. Yes. I'm so happy that you mentioned this and this ties really uh, well into the t-shirt that I wear all the time that you made yeah. uh, about food as medicine. You mentioned oil of oregano in your chimichurri. I think that that's a great idea. I am totally going to do that. Uh, <laughs> my dogs take oil of oregano every yeah, day and yeah. they love it. So can we chat about food as medicine? Like we've been talking about the banana and just like kind of looking at food differently. Sure. So yeah. So, you know, my book has all of these like geeky science approaches and these six R's and and then, you know, there's the quizzes and then each uh, chapter has a menu of food as medicine solutions strategically developed for that R. So, you know, I have a section of recipes that are for leaky gut or a section of recipes for adrenal fatigue. I have a section of recipes for micronutrient mineral stability and, and what have you. And then it's all, they made me lay it out in a traditional sense. So it's like, you know, breakfast, lunches, what have you, soups and such. Um, but everything is done with very strategic 
uh, development so that there's a synergistic impact of the nutrients of the foods that are in each recipe. And so I incorporate a lot of citrus and a lot of berries because vitamin C is actually highest stored in our adrenal glands. So vitamin C plays a huge role on modulating cortisol. And too much cortisol, I always say, puts us into like incredible Hulk mode, right? It's like, ah, um, and that's not good for mood stability. So vitamin C, if you're getting a rich form of that, like I use the, the pith, the, the white furry part of a lemon in, in my lemon, uh, my turmeric lemonade. I use zest of citrus in a lot of the recipes because that rind has a lot of the bioflavonoids. Um, I have the turmeric orange gummies, uh, which use a lot of the rind in there. And um, this really delivers a really potent form of vitamin C so that the adrenal glands can better regulate cortisol expression. So they don't dump too much, yet they have the juice to build if coming from a state of depletion. Um, let's see, I use a lot of leafy greens. So leafy greens, like I said, every day, like in my virtual keto program and in all of my clinic, everyone gets two to three cups of greens every day. Um, so whether you're adding that to a protein shake, whether you're doing that in a base of a salad or you're braising them down in ghee with turmeric and warming spices. Um, we're going to provide ourselves with the most nature available form of folate beyond liver. Liver is a great form too, but we're getting folate from the foliage. Um, and that plays such a role in our activation of our neurotransmitters. We're getting a good array of B vitamins and then we're getting magnesium, which is like nature's original chill pill. Magnesium plays such a good role of muscle relaxation and also as a mood stabilizing compound really helps to reduce that stress response and help us to feel very grounded. So that's in everything. So I have like braised chicken thighs with greens, which is like a one pot um, cast iron dish that I do. Um, and then we emphasize darker meats so that we're getting more of the taurine, so that we're getting more of the balance of the amino acids um, and higher amounts of zinc and selenium, which also work to help to support that GABA influence it for relaxation in the body. Um, so, I mean, there's so much, <laughs> so many different um, dishes. And what's neat is every dish um, is going to have a food as medicine section, which explains the mechanism. So beyond making my recipe, you can then empower yourself with the what's and why's of the focused ingredients and take those wherever you want to run. That is so cool that we, that you rather have just outlined such a powerful way to see food as medicine as somebody who reacts so strongly to chocolate, for example, like chocolate makes me totally crazy. And just knowing that knowing that one food can make such a big difference in our ability to show up in the world with my moods going all over the place and um, my skin displays imbalance. So is there anything people who struggle with anxiety should avoid on keto or things to look out for? Yeah, you know, so I think, right, with keto, we take away the corn and the gluten and the refined sugar. That should be an easy, that's already out. Um, soy, I think, is still one that can be highly consumed in a ketogenic diet, especially if we're eating out, you know, because soybean oil is the predominant cooking oil. Um, and also it's used as a preservative in the form of um, soy lecithin in many foods. Um, so that is still one that we would want to watch out for. And one of the big reasons is, both soy and corn have a high percentage, over 90% of uh, being genetically modified. And with GMOs and the way that they're treated, it's 
the concern of, of the glycophosphate, the, the, the agricultural chemical that's used on um, there with the Roundup and how that works as a neurotoxin in our system. So that actually can interfere with our neurotransmitters and our neurological function. That's a big reason why I pulled it out. And then the fact that it does tend to be higher omega-6, higher inflammatory and industrialized oils in general. So, you know, these frying oils and such, they interfere with our cell membrane function and they interfere with healthy fat influence and cellular communication signals. It's all based on that membrane, which that cell wall is comprised of fats. And we want it to be comprised of healthy whole food fats versus oxidized, rancid, toxic fats. So I think soy and vegetable industrialized oils are a big one for keto community to be mindful of. And then I think the other one, Leanne, that I don't talk about a lot in my book because it's not a keto specific book is the artificial sweeteners. I see a lot of mood instability with too much caffeine and too much non-caloric sweeteners driving jags of mood and um, driving anxiety, anticipatory distress and kind of racing thoughts and, and not providing that grounding influence that we typically think of with a higher fat diet. Amazing, Allie. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And where can people find more from you? Awesome. So it's called The Anti-Anxiety Diet. Um, and you can find it and all things that I do at AllieMillerRD.com. And you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at AllieMillerRD. And like I said, I'm always, always putting out all the things. And I, I think that the biggest thing is that I did not write this book to drive anxiety and make you ruminate and worry about, oh my gosh, I'm poisoning myself with my foods. I hopefully developed this to be a tool of empowerment and allow you to see things with more of an abundant light and maybe apply some different strategies than you're currently doing with your diet program. But a lot of tools, including advanced functional labs that you may need to do, a supplement table and strategy of where to start based on symptom management, and then the biggest picture these root cause solutions to address your specific entry point of what's driving your mood instability so you can feel amazing and thrive in your body and brain again. Cool. Thank you so much. And we'll include all of the links and the things that you shared in our podcast extras and transcript, which you guys can find at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E96. And Allie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again next Sunday to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be confused as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcasts reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.